Hey everyone, welcome back to another edition of Scale of One to Tech. Today I'm joined by the wonderful Nikki Lambert, who is CMO over at Popsa. During Nikki's marketing career, she's worked for some fantastic brands, including Virgin, Spotify, and Melody VR. Now, did you know when she joined Spotify, they had 250,000 permanent subscribers? When she left, there was 60 million. We learn about how Spotify did that, along with some great things to do with her time in Virgin and how Popsa has had an incredible last two years. Join us on the other side. This episode of The Scale of One to Tech is sponsored by eOpinion. eOpinion is on a mission to change the face of the survey industry by captivating and entertaining your users and customers. They use 30-second speedy polls to create interesting stories, actionable insights, and increase engagement. Listeners of The Scale of One to Tech podcast can get a half-price speedy poll by heading over to eopinion.org forward slash Alex. Nikki, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Alex, lovely to be here. Lovely to have you on. Now, Nikki, as I have done over the past uh, two or three episodes, I-, I like to kick off the show just for listeners to get a bit bit better understanding as to, as to you as an individual. So I've got a quick fire five, uh, if I may. Happy to uh, to run through those. Yep, let's do it. So first one, Nikki, when I was young, I wanted to be a... Ballerina. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> yep, there you go. There yeah. you go. I mean, either that or I think I wanted to be a PE teacher. So, you know, like relatively small scope of world, but, you know, yeah. Exercising sport and stuff was a big part of my life as a kid. Good. Good to hear. My first job was... My first job was working in a newsagent close to where my folks, um, yeah, where I grew up. Brilliant. If I wasn't a marketeer, I'd be a, and you can't say ballerina or PE teacher. No, I'm not going to. I'm not going to. Um, I would say (laughs) probably, it's not a million miles away, I'd say a behavioural psychologist. Okay, interesting. Is Is that through what you've picked up in your marketing career or? I think it's just, I mean, through my career, I think just a sort of like deep interest in people and what makes them tick and what makes them, yeah, behave the way they do. I guess it would be that or I would work for MI5. Okay. Very nice. Very nice. Well, isn't there a, there's, there's a new, uh, there's a position for James Bond, right? I heard. So you never know. You never know. (laughs) Um, And last one, what are you currently reading, Nikki? Oh, what I am currently reading is a book called When I Dare to Be Powerful, and it's about women so empowered are dangerous, which is a Christmas gift from a friend of mine. Very nice. Um, Yeah, and it's uh, really interesting. Good. Well, look, Nikki, give us a little bit of a career journey. How have you got to where you are today? Sure. So I guess I'll start from the beginning and kind of work through to present day. Um, I actually left school when I was 16 and for a bunch of reasons that my, my parents were not overjoyed about at the time. But the way I like to think about it is that I um, I joined the University of Life <laughs> and actually sort of sort of start, so started working from a pretty young age and fell into a, a customer support type role where I worked across like loads of different brands and industries from everything from like 
nationwide personal loans to orange mobile phones to NHS organ donation, just like a really interesting, varied bunch of things. And one of the businesses that I worked with in the company I was at was Virgin. And Virgin Money had just launched in its sort of earliest form at the time. And they'd sort of come to the market and essentially what they were trying to do was sort of demystify financial services. Mm -hmm. So sort of help consumers understand what an ISA was, what a PEP was and what a TESA was, which were sort of the new things that had come out at that time, which, you know, at my at the tender young age of late teens, none of it meant anything to me. But but one of the things that struck me was that Virgin just had this really interesting approach to taking things that were like complicated or designed to confuse people and to really try and simplify them. And all the people that I worked with from there were lovely. And, it, you know, the way that they approached business and the commitment they had to their people kind of really resonated with me. And so from that, I sort of ended up moving into a, a sort of role at Virgin, mm -hmm. which kind of became the beginning of 10 years with the business. And sort of over that time, I moved from a bunch of different areas and roles from customer support to marketing to product. And like in some cases, they were roles that I sort of created for myself, having been in the business for a bit and sort of seen that there was an opportunity for, you know, better communication between the marketing team and the customer support team. And, you know, Virgin was kind of just an environment where you were really sort of encouraged to just sort of get stuck in, you know, show that you were interested and then sort of opportunity, opportunities would open up, which was, mm -hmm. you know, particularly, I guess, appealing to me without having sort of a, a big sort of really solid kind of academic background. And I spent a chunk of my time at Virgin at Virgin Mobile, which was sort of back in the early noughties. Um, mm -hmm. And I guess what was what was sort of particularly interesting about that time, which is going to age me enormously, is that, you know, it, it was smartphone time. So when I first started there, you know, phones that did anything other than text messages and calls were not a thing. So actually, it was kind of really being part of that, sitting in the middle of that revolution. You know, first iPhone came out in 2007. And, you know, lots of my earliest marketing campaigns were sort of going, imagine if you had this thing in your pocket where you could see what's on at the cinema and check the weather. <laughs> but all these things that just feel like ridiculous now that we weren't able to do that, but literally trying to encourage people to do more things with their phones. So a really Really, really interesting time and, and over that time I sort of moved from Bristol where I grew up to mm -hmm. London Virgin Mobile went on a bit of a journey ended up becoming what is now Virgin Media and I moved within the group again into a role so there's a part of Virgin called Virgin Management which is essentially it's sort of it's a bit like a VC operation and it's kind of the the bit of Virgin that oversees their um, investments in everything from planes to trains to healthcare to gyms to brides and Coca-Cola and all some of the weird and wonderful things there were back then. And it's kind of, it's quite a unique business in that it's actually pretty small and generally made up of sort of lawyers and IP people, but with a small brand team there. And really what they're doing is kind of managing all of the Virgin assets and the one thing they all have in common is the name, but actually they're all run very independent or very separately. Some of them are brand mm -hmm. licenses, some of them are joint ownership, some of them are fully owned by Virgin. And so my sort of role there was 
working with the sort of investment managers to figure out what what the Virgin brand needed to do and how we could make all the different businesses sort of work together to get the most the, the sort of best value out. And at that time, Virgin Mobile was in, I think, 10 different markets around the world. So sort of I've been on a bit of a journey to partner up with big established players everywhere from India to South Africa to you know, Australia, the US, France, Middle East. And my role essentially was to go and spend time with all of the marketing teams and brand teams in those markets to sort of help them understand the value of the Virgin brand and how they, you know, A, how they needed to operate as Virgin businesses, because Virgin's always been sort of such a values driven company, but also to help them kind of work together more. And you know, I was really young when it started. I think when I started that job, I was about 23 and mm-hmm. was sort of told before my first day to go and have my jabs because I was going to Mumbai because we were working with Tata to set up a mobile business in India, <laughs> which was like, okay, I don't, I don't really understand most of those things. And I've never been to India before, but cool, let's go yep. give it a go. So I, I sort of used to liken it a little bit to being in a, a real world version of The Apprentice where it was like, right, now you need to go over here and do this. But it was an absolutely amazing experience and took me to loads of different parts of the world. But I guess looking at the world through a, a virgin lens, which was all about understanding consumers and probably going into big established industries with a very specific sort of point of difference and consumer in mind, mm-hmm. just was something that was like incredibly interesting so I was there for sort of across Virgin Group for about 10 years in total and then decided it was time to move on and start something new and I ended up at Spotify which sort of came about through a friend of a friend who was there doing a PR role who sort of said like you know you love music like this this could be really interesting for you and at that point in time Spotify was sort of launched in a bunch of different markets in Europe sort of the people that knew about it were probably your kind of cool music friends who probably wouldn't tell you about it because they wanted it to be cool (laughs) and you know at that point it was like an invite only service and so you kind of had to be like in the know or know the right people to actually get access to it at all and at that point the business behind the scenes had been working hard to sort of get ready to launch in the US there was lots of excitement about Spotify but there was also sort of concern from the music industry. So launching in the US was kind of really going to be the sort of make or break moment. And so I joined the business to run consumer marketing for Europe, which was sort of the only place the business was at that point in time. Mm -hmm. And then not long after I joined, um, the business launched into the US, did a sort of massive partnership with Facebook, which was a big, big sort of growth moment. Yeah. And, and, I, what was what was sort of particularly interesting about that was have from my perspective joining Spotify was like wow it's like an amazing brand and an amazing product this is just like the best combination and prior to that you know Virgin had been an amazing brand and essentially like the product was quite often sort of fairly average or normal but there was just mm-hmm. like a lovely marketing and sort of consumer focused veneer over it so the idea of having you know an amazing product and an amazing brand was like yes this is it so I joined the business and was like really excited about that and then sort of got a, a big wallop of reality that you know 
tech driven product businesses like sometimes have a different view of what marketing is about what it's there for and so sort of my first conversations with Daniel and I was like yeah this is amazing you know he he <laughs> didn't quite say it but he kind of was like yeah I'm not really down with the marketing thing you know <laughs> I feel like good products should sell themselves yeah. which like sort of floored me a little bit and like but I was and you know I think my response was like yeah, the, the problem is if you don't tell people about your product, then you could end up just having the world's best kept secret. So it was sort of an interesting start to the journey. And I guess in some ways it was good because like the bar was pretty low. Mm -hmm. You know, the expectations were, you know, lots of this stuff can kind of happen anyway. So if I could come in and sort of bring, uh, you know, and again, it, it's challenging when businesses are doing things that have not happened before. And at that time, you know, we'd Never, we've never had more ways to listen to music, and that was the case then. So explaining to people this was another way to listen to music was like not meeting some sort of totally unmet need. It was more about going, you know, in the future, this will become something that's really valuable. Yeah, so so it was kind of an interesting challenge, and there was a bit of a sense of like, let's not ask people what they want because they won't know. So, you know, my, my task was really about going like, I get this and I understand like where we're trying to take this thing. But if we want it to be a household name that's on everybody's phone and that everybody engages with, then like we've got to take people on the journey and we've got to sort of, you know, position it to them in a way that where they understand the value and, you know, they're kind of excited about the future opportunity. And I guess the other thing to mention is there was also like not far off zero marketing budget you know, which and some of that was just a symptom of, you know, startup scale up businesses where, you know, they, they don't want to be in a world of going, we figured out exactly how much we can spend on this. It was more a case of going, you know, go come up with some ideas, come back and pitch what you think will work, try things, see what works. And, you know, Virgin similarly had not been, a you know, I've, I've never really worked in sort of big budget businesses. So sort of quite a comfortable way of being and it takes the pressure off you know because it just means you can be scrappy so mm -hmm. you know a huge part of my focus there was figuring out you know how with an amazing product we could do some sort of strong we could work with partners you know what we were able to bring was the ability for you to listen to music anywhere so a big part of my focus working across Europe was building partnerships with like a wide array of brands from Nike to ASOS to, you know, lots of the sort of media broadcasters, Channel 4, the BBC, to sort of figure out how we could kind of complement, you know, music's one of those wonderful things that is so often used to create emotion between people so actually being able to come to people and go like hey we can actually genuinely bring the music was a pretty powerful tool arguably more powerful than you know being able to write a check or coming up with some sort of commercial agreement so yeah so that was kind of a big a big part of my focus at Spotify so really kind of building up the team you know at the time we were sort of experimenting with different features it was an interesting journey because at the beginning of Spotify, you know, essentially the product was type of the name of an artist or an album into a search bar and you can play it. And, you know, that was like quite cool, but not necessarily revolutionary, but actually the vision and the journey that was sort of going on in the background was, you know, not just for Spotify to be about giving you access to music. It was about, you know, curating music, getting you excited about music, building communities around music, but all of that stuff took time and we needed to get people, you know, engaging with it so we could learn what they liked and 
tell them about other things and sort of build a big sort of pool of data to suddenly make that kind of conversation more interesting. So, yeah, so basically sort of built up what even to the end was like still a sort of relatively sort of tight and small and focused team there, Mm -hmm. but who were sort of experts in all of their local areas. And then over my time there, I went from being responsible for Europe to basically taking on sort of rest of world. So everywhere other than the Americas. And I guess to give a sort of sense of scale, when I joined the business, there were about 200,000 paying subscribers. And over the sort of five and a bit years I was there, that increased to 55 million with 100 million monthly active users. So, you know, incredible, incredible rates of growth. (laughs) Well, I'll I'll definitely come back to that a little bit later. I'll I'll ask you you something about that one later, but that's, yeah, some phenomenal growth during that time. Yeah. So, so basically a a sort of an amazing journey there, really sort of building the sort of consumer facing elements to the way that Spotify put itself out into the world, working in really close partnership with, you know, an amazing product and lots of brilliant sort of features and things. And yeah, I guess there's sort of re- well, lots of reasons to bring up the kind of growth trajectory, but also when I joined the business, there were sort of less than a hundred people, and to scale to that kind of size, you know, when I left, I don't recall how many, but you know, thousands and thousands. It sort of felt like we went through periods where every week there'd be a sort of new starter induction, and it went <laughs> from having a handful of people to being like hundreds of people, which was amazing. But I think it also just made me realise that you know, there's a point in a business's life that I, you know, enjoy the most and find the most exciting and think I'm, I've got the best sort of skill set for. And, you know, we got really big and that meant that marketing, which I'd previously had like loads of involvement in everything from the product stuff to the insight stuff, to media, to partnerships, you know, needed naturally just to be sort of broken out a bit. And that sort of felt to me like probably the time for me to sort of take amazing learnings and Mm -hmm. and take them somewhere else. So my sort of final task there was Japan. So Japan, which is one of the, I'm a bit rusty on on numbers, sizes of music markets these days, but was sort of in the top five music markets in terms of its value, but a vastly, vastly different sort of culture in every which way, including, you know, both the way Japanese consumers access music, the way they listen to music, the relationship they have with musicians and things. So it sort of needed a very specific and, you know, sort of delicate and thoughtful market entry so that what we didn't do was come in and and make it feel like we were sort of devaluing something that you know Japanese culture put a particular important focus on so went Mm. and spent lots of time in Tokyo working with sort of partners out there to figure out how best to kind of introduce the brand in a really sort of thoughtful way which was again like a wonderful experience and sort of built built a local team out there and at the end of that kind of thought do you know what? That has been absolutely wonderful. I've done a whole bunch of things that I will never be able to do again, or I will probably never have the energy to do again. (laughs) So now I'm going to move on, which took me to Melody, which, which again, I guess there's, there's sort of a bit of a theme, you know, disruptive tech doing Mm -hmm. interesting things. So Melody VR, which is now Napster. Okay. They bought Napster. And so, yeah, everything sort of went a little bit full circle. But yeah, so Melody was sort of created, you know, in line with, I guess at the time, 
there were more and more sort of live music shows than ever before. They were selling out in record time. You know, they were incredibly expensive to get to. So there were sort of challenges around getting access. And and so Melody was sort of created. Um, the founders sort of saw VR technology in the early days and thought, like, how could you apply this to music and, you know, really use it as a mechanism to open up access to live music to more people all over the world. So some of the sort of restrictions that exist go away. Um, and so, uh, you know, a bit like Spotify in the early days, sort of the, the point at which I joined Melody, they had just started doing, you know, the first and only at that point deals with major labels. So they had all the kind of rights in place so that they were the people if a Warner or a Universal artist wanted to make one of their shows available in virtual reality, then Melody would be the partner they'd work with. And Melody were also creating all of the technology at the same time, which sort of started off being, you know, a bit more kind of like fudge it, hack it, how do we make it work, but then turned into some sort of incredibly sophisticated tech that was able to, you know, cameras that were basically the size of a grapefruit. And that was important because you're putting them on stage with artists who are performing. And if you were to go, can we wallop a massive, great piece of technology on here so some people that aren't in the audience here can watch it that you know they just say no so the idea was that the sort of technology needed to be sophisticated enough that it could be filming 360 degrees a full live show and from multiple different vantage points so as you were watching it back you could move yourself from the back of the auditorium to being in the front row to being on stage to looking over the drum kit so a really, really like, interesting business and offering. And when I first joined, you know, lots of the aspiration was about being in the live music space and big arenas and sold out shows. Halfway through my time there, COVID happened, which like pretty dramatically changed the focus. You know, up until that point, the biggest challenge that I was trying to overcome was people going like, but why would I bother doing that why wouldn't I just go to you know Brixton Academy and watch the show myself because Mm -hmm. when I'm physically there you know I'm with my mates and we've got beers and there's a vibe and you can't get that you know on a phone or in a virtual reality headset and then COVID came along and like suddenly the job of explaining that went away (laughs) and over the sort of COVID period various businesses sort of spun up into the space and went you know how do we take advantage of you know or how do we make the most of this situation in order to you know give consumers opportunities to connect with the artists they love but you know we we were lucky in that you know we already sort of had that agenda and you know had the technology and had a team of really smart people kind of bringing that to life so yeah so a pretty enormous pivot and over I think the the first year of COVID we also set up um, COVID safe studios the first one of which in LA where the Mm -hmm. restrictions were a bit different but sort of got approval from the Californian state to have these studios set up and because all of our technology is completely unmanned essentially you know John Legend could arrive at the studio walk in do his performance Mm -hmm. and then walk out through his own private exit not see anybody so everything was totally safe and his fans could have an experience that wasn't just like him sitting on his sofa again with sort of slightly shoddy production or Mm -hmm. you know so we did sort of a, a few sort of huge series over the course of covid both in the us and in the uk and then also worked with wireless festival who we worked with before to 
take the festival virtual when it was physically happening in Finsbury Park. We basically sort of repurposed the whole thing and put on a three-day festival, which was fully live streamed from Alexandra Palace and the beautiful theatre space there. So had, Mm. I, I forget how many, but maybe a hundred artists come through and film their performances in a sort of indoor festival site that we created. And then fans could sort of tune in and watch that live over the course of the weekend. So some some really sort of fun and exciting stuff and, uh, and a great journey. And then I sort of had a moment where I thought, you know what, I think I might need a break from the music stuff. <laughs> so I kind of got to this realisation that I was listening to less music than I ever had done before. And maybe some of the music I was listening to wasn't the music that I loved. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, sometimes you can have too much of a good thing and, and maybe it was time to step away and go and do something different. And that brings you to to Popser, and, and I guess looking back, mm. I mean that's that's, and I'll come on to Popser in a second. But what I really like there, and and I'm sort of with you in terms of education was, uh, I'm going to say not my forte is probably the wrong way to put it, but but yeah, I, I was <laughs> I was more involved in in the university of life. I, I I wanted to go out there sooner rather than later and try things and do things. So, but I appreciate. I mean, in my early days, I I was quite interested in marketing, but without a degree. At that point, I felt it was quite difficult to break into marketing without a degree, even mm. in the UK. I know in uh, in the US where I grew up, it was sort of whatever you wanted to do, you had to have a degree. Whereas when I came back about 18, 19 in the UK, it was kind of a bit more, there were opportunities for those without degrees, which was great. But marketing seemed to be an industry that uh, was quite difficult to break into. So it was great to hear that that you had that opportunity and especially within a within a business like Virgin and, and also I mean, there was something that I saw, I think, I'm sure it was Richard Branson uh, a few years back about one of those posts, right, on LinkedIn, where he says, if someone offers you an amazing opportunity, just say yes, don't worry about it and, and learn it afterwards. And I guess that that story about going to, mm. to Mumbai and getting the shots and just doing it, you you kind of live through those experiences. So that that all sounds really exciting. And then we get to Popsa. Now, Popsa, I, I saw something online, November 2020. Pops has named the UK's fastest growing software company. It won the software category. It came third overall in the Deloitte Technology Fast 50. Then in June 2021, you come in as their CMO. A month later, you launch into Australia and New Zealand. Then in October, launch into Canada. And then November, just gone. Again, Popsa was top 10 in the fastest growing technology companies by Deloitte. So, for some businesses, it's been a bit of a a slog for the last 18, 24 months. For Popser, it seems like it's been been pretty exciting. Tell us what, what is Popser, what's Popser all about, and why has it been such an exciting sort of couple of years for them? Yeah, absolutely. And I guess sort of the start point for what is Popser, I'll give you just like mm-hmm. a little bit of the context in the stuff that got, I guess, got me particularly excited about joining. You know, when when we think about it, we take more photos today than we ever have done before. And mm-hmm. I think this might be a slightly rusty stat, but at some at some point in time, in one year, we took more photos than we had ever taken in all of the years previous, you know, which obviously is down to the fact that we've now all got sort of like spectacular quality cameras in our pockets. And what's kind of interesting is when you talk to people about 
their photos and the photos they take and like how important those are like they're incredibly important and they bring up like all of these things about it it all being about like reminiscing and nostalgia and relationships and happiness and you know great for mental health and reminding them of stories and there's like all of this sort of really amazing kind of depth and like personal importance to our photos but then when you ask people like what they do with them it's like vastly different. <laughs> and in that scenario, you get like a real sort of selection of actually, I need to back them up. Actually, I've stopped being able to take them because my phone capacity is full yeah. or like, oh God, every time I come back from a holiday, I mean to create an album and put all the good photos in them. But the reality is they're sort of sitting in our phones amidst notes, screenshots, receipts, like other people's pictures that get dropped in by WhatsApp, mm -hmm. reminders, and like all of this other stuff. And we sort of just like hope and put all this power in, you know, there's the search facilities within Google or Apple to like help me find the pictures of that friend or that thing that happened. And so I guess what 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 Popsa sort of was created for was to be on a bit of a mission to change all of that. And the category of photo printing has been around for an enormously long time. You know, there used yep. to be shops on the high street, then they were just booths in boots. And it's a category that sort of evolved its bricks and mortar in line with technology shifting. Whereas Popster's start point and our sort of founders start point was they are young, incredibly smart tech app AI people. And their start point was like, let's start from the place where people are taking the photos rather mm -hmm. than this sort of historical experience of, you know, if you want to do something with your digital photos, you go to a website, you know, you've got like, you know, digital photos are big files. So you've got like big files, you're trying to shift around places and you kind of, in lots of cases, you know, had to be a sort of art worker to try and put photos <laughs> and display them in a book in a way where you didn't chop people's heads off. And, yeah. you know, it just, there were sort of lots of barriers to doing anything with those photos. So they sort of just ended up sitting on a bunch of different drives and then you got a new laptop or a new phone and you lost like, a year of your life. And so Popsa was basically sort of designed to alleviate loads of that stuff. So it's basically a mobile app that is a really simple way of curating, organizing your photos so that you can sort of turn them into kind of physical artifacts. So photo books, you know, calendars, not print a photo on anything. But again, right. there's sort of, you know, there's there's demand and there's lots of businesses out there where it's very much about physical world and it's just about creating those things. I think for Popsa, like the real difference for us is like where we want to get to is a place where what we are doing is helping you extract the bits of meaning from your photo library. So not the receipts, not the reminders, not other people's photos and really encouraging you through technology to like do stuff with that. And so at the moment, um, mm -hmm. we can help you really easily print great sort of photo sort of stories and books and products. But what we're building in the background and where we're intending to get to is a place where we can look at your photo library and detect stories based on the metadata in the photos. So both your photos will look like they're custom made by a professional designer or, you know, it's your mum's birthday and we can put together a book of loads of pictures that we think that she might be interested in, or you get back from your holiday and you and your mates mm -hmm. can pull your photos and, you know, we'll be able to put together something that you can add commentary to about like where you've been, your favorite restaurants and all this kind of stuff. And there's so much information that we can sort of pull and use there. 
Uh, you know, but both for the moments that we would typically take photos, but actually, you know, when we sort of talk to people about the photos they take, like quite often the ones that make them laugh the most and the ones that stand out are the least remarkable ones. It's like the one that there's just a story about, or, you know, we've, we've been sort of talking to lots of folks and over the holidays, we, we were doing some sort of campaign stuff about like, imagine if you just made a photo book for your friend of all of the pictures within your WhatsApp chat. You know, it's like there's no reason to do that, but actually just as a sort of mechanic to sort of really like mark a relationship, make someone laugh, you know, give you sort of a moment to think about all the good stuff in life. There's just sort of loads and loads of opportunity there. Um, Yeah, so so that sort of pops up and what is exciting to me about being here. And I guess obviously the last couple of years in terms of the growth, although perhaps people haven't been able to go on holiday probably as much as they, they would want. I guess COVID and people being home and still doing stuff at home, it's it's still presented. COVID has still presented opportunities for for growth for the business. Yeah, I mean, I guess I, I feel like every business has got their own version of the sort of COVID impact story, depending on what they do. I think, hmm. you know, for Popsa at the beginning of COVID, you know, it, it suddenly like people just turned to... I miss people, you know, like our values changed and the things and people that we cared about, we suddenly, you know, had this real sense of nostalgia for because we literally couldn't be with people. And so actually, you know, and again, sort of lots of our kind of marketing and focus and comms effort really shifted to that. So it's like, you know, we know you can't be with Nan or Nan can't see baby growing up, but actually here's a really easy way. And then, and I guess the other thing that sort of interesting and important for us which is probably quite different to lots of the rest of the category because so much effort has been put into making the sort of ui and the app experience as Mm. frictionless and simple as it possibly can be we like vastly over index with a sort of older less tech savvy less tech comfortable audience because they're just you know they wouldn't expect that they would be able to take photos from their phone and make them into a book and then have that arrive but actually you know a huge amount of our sort of reviews and trust pilot ratings and sort of word of mouth and things comes from people who are like I never thought I would be able to do something like this but actually Pops has like really given me the confidence to like learn a new skill and you know as you get older and particularly sort of grandparents with families who haven't been able to be with them like this period has become so important and having you know some technology that can kind of help them through that has been incredibly important. So yeah, we sort of started off with loads of opportunity as we were all sort of figuring out ways to kind of connect with loved ones and getting used to Zoom calls and sort of digital contact. Then it got a bit tougher, you know, like holidays, undoubtedly holidays and like social gatherings and birthdays and weddings are obviously a big part of the times when people sort of are naturally taking lots of photos and those things not happening did present challenges for us but actually you know the team and the business was sort of ready to pivot and shift and just be able to be really reactive and nimble to what was going on market to market and you know actually interestingly like despite the fact we haven't necessarily had the same sort of life goings on that we might have thought we were going to have you know people have had a whole bunch of new experiences we had like loads of people making books about you know the new skills that they'd learned like loads of dog books because loads of people got you know dogs and puppies over that time period and I guess what we lost in 
moments and new inputs we kind of gained in time and creativity. So the amount of people who were kind of adding like notes and commentary and making books more into kind of stories or catalogues of the past versus just mm-hmm. like a digital dump of photos shifted. I guess COVID aside, obviously Popser is is part e-commerce and, and part product. Mm. The product is the platform. So what challenges in general does that create for you from a marketing standpoint? It's an interesting one and possibly one I slightly underestimated on joining Popser, <laughs> having spent most of my career at sort of subscription businesses one way or another, where mm-hmm. I guess the the challenge is different, right? You have to probably work harder up front, but once you've got people in, then, you know, it, it's not necessarily easier to keep them, but, you know, that you have a different relationship with them at that point. Whereas, you know, actually Popser's got like, many of the toughest bits it's like we're largely e-com so you come in and you buy one thing and then mm-hmm. hopefully we get you to come back again but you know you're not committed to do that with us even if we kind of get you and you think that pops are sounds interesting you know you've still got to download an app because we're an app only mm-hmm. business you've then also got to like have enough photos on your phone and whilst we've done everything we can to make it really easy to access photos from everywhere whether it's from your dropbox or your google drive whatever like you still have to have a reason to pull a bunch of photos together at that moment in time and yeah and then once you've done that once we kind of do it all over again so there's sort of lots of lots of different levers that we have to pull which is which is a really interesting one but i guess what it does mean and part of the reason that i was sort of excited by it as a marketing challenge is like all of those things are equally important mm-hmm. you know we we need to make sure we're continuing to grow so that we can then get those customers to like make more books with popser and you know tell other people about popser but like all of the parts of that kind of ecosystem equally as important so yeah so i guess that means there are kind of more levers for us to pull and to sort of course correct one with another we you know, we launched a referral program um, at okay. the end of last year um, which has been interesting and again sort of you know we've been sort of looking at some of the best best practice and also sort of benchmarks in terms of results but you know often really successful referral programs are a, a bit more kind of e-commerce focused and you know if you're a food product you know we all eat three times a day so trying to persuade trying to grab someone at the point at which they might try that is like a fair bit easier than hoping that when you tell you know i I, pop so there's just a longer lead time on getting people to engage because even if they love what we're doing they'll be like oh right well actually it's my mate's birthday in a few months so i'll use popsa to make a photo book so you know things like retargeting and you know figure like doing our best to figure out lifetime value becomes really important and you know historically pops has been a business that has very much grown through performance marketing and i guess another interesting thing to mention is we are in 12 languages and 55 markets so we're pretty broad and in terms of where our customers are they're sort of fairly evenly spread between the uk France and Germany with the US as our sort of fourth largest market. So Mm -hmm. we're very international, which is good in lots of ways, challenging in others. So yeah, lots of levers to pull across lots of different markets and kind of balancing the best way to do that is a sort of constant, constant focus for us. And I was going to ask you, obviously in the position of CMO, you're, you're 
breadth of marketing is all encompassing, but but there's sort of the art and science of marketing. The science being more the performance marketing side, the the art being more the branding, the offside side. How do you balance that? And and do you have a preference in terms of do you feel there's it's better to be more art or science focused? How how have you worked with that conundrum over the years? Yeah, I mean, it, it, I guess it's an interesting one, and I probably would prefer to be a marketeer like growing up today where the two things are just there from the beginning you know and yeah. I think back to the, the beginning of my career which was like you know not fully before digital but before digital you know at the point when people were sort of experimenting with digital budgets mm-hmm. you know everything was a little bit more instinctive you know in lots of industries or you know the way you measured success was a brand awareness piece of research that you did, you know, every month, and then how many people were coming into the store and buying the phones and things. So data was always important, but it wasn't, it just didn't have the immediacy it does right now. And I think, I think probably partly because of that, but also because I've seen incredibly successful marketing happen that isn't purely driven by the data side of things Mm -hmm. means that I maybe have a bias more towards the kind of art and the slightly more instinctive but consumer-focused side of things. But equally, you know, the the two are incredibly important. And I think, I I guess when I think about my sort of time at Spotify and the way, you know, that, that sort of journey that we went on there, where at the beginning it was just about going like, here's a way to access music. But then as we learned about how you access music and, you know, I was, I'm proud to say I was sort of one of the team that worked on the very first sort of Spotify wrapped, which was called Year in Review back then, which is now mm-hmm. sort of widely heralded as like, a you know, a really impressive initiative to sort of use data in a really interesting way. But, you know, using data to be able to tell stories to consumers is incredibly important so I think I think the way I like to think about it is like how can we use data to like unlock creativity and make Mm -hmm. everything into much more of a virtuous circle and you know we did lots of that at Spotify and and I think my focus is always very much like consumer first which feels like a really obvious thing to say but it can be quite easy to forget that and you know we find increasingly when we're sitting in meetings sort of looking at spreadsheets and trying to understand trends and what are the privacy challenges with apple what do they mean and how do we react it's like every now and again you've just got to go right we are trying to talk to a busy mum with a couple of kids running around and what we're trying to do is get her to realize that there's a way that she can like collect together the stories of like the kids birthdays or a present for nan in a really simple way so like let's not lose sight of that and let's try and figure out like what that means relative to the data that we're looking at and whether we can make bigger and bolder decisions at a sort of slightly higher level whilst also staying really focused on you know all of the incredibly important kind of micro stuff I guess that's why marketing's so important, right? Because it's it's all well and good to be data driven and and looking at numbers and the numbers of new customers and and reoccurring customers. It's great, but at the end of the day, it's it's just thinking about people and understanding people and and not losing sight of that, like you said. Totally, and I think I think there is just such a big difference. And again, you know, this was 
Virgin was a very kind of insight consumer driven business and almost used that as its competitive advantage because it really got a deep understanding of customers. And, you know, when I was at Spotify, there were a bunch of times when as a very data focused business, you know, some like really smart analysts would come back with like a whole bunch of information and we'd be sitting there kind of going like, right, what can we do with that? But then you'd, you know, we'd, we'd make some decisions with the product where, you know, we do things like make playlists based on the music you've been listening to, you know, so Discover mm-hmm. Weekly was sort of born and then we had a whole bunch of customers going back going like my discover weekly is really great other than like the nursery rhymes that you keep dropping in (laughs) or you know we'd we'd see patterns where somebody who generally listened to like a certain type of music would suddenly you know start listening to show tunes in the morning and it's like we've got all this data but what we don't have in the case of the second one is like the insight behind why and you know and there is just a real difference between those two things and you know I think as businesses and corporations like we have such an enormous responsibility in terms of like the way that we use customer data and I think you know somewhere like Spotify where it was all about providing a better experience for you you know it's like I don't know what new music to listen to so if someone can tell me that here's a bunch of music I like therefore this might be other music I like then I'm like 100% down with that you know and if if Popsa can take away some of the pain of putting together a photo book because it's able to find all the pictures of my sister and help me put together a picture of her birthday. Like, again, I'm completely down with that. But, you know, we sort of just do just have this real responsibility to, you know, use the data we've got in the way that, you know, it's intended. Definitely. And I can't, I, I've got to come back to, uh, I know you mentioned this earlier during your time at Spotify. I think you said when you started, it was, was 250,000 subscribers and when you left it was 60 million now i know obviously you were part of a team there what i mean how how do you go from 250,000 to 60 million what what was sort of your key contribution if you like to that growth yeah, I mean, how we did it, it's a bit of a blur. You know, when you look back and go, goodness <laughs> me. I mean, we did all work incredibly hard um, and like threw a lot of stuff there out and some of it stuck. I mean, I guess, you know, my my contribution there was really, you know, to grow and to scale a business at that pace. Like you have to be very dedicated in your focus and you have to like centralize and you, you have to build a product that's just able to scale rapidly. <laughs> and there's lots of good things about that, but there are, quite a lot of challenges around things like that and you know when you look it when we would look at local markets and you know Europe's always an incredibly interesting region because you know we speak different languages and culturally we're sort of there's some real extreme differences and when you look at music listening behavior actually certainly sort of back when uh, I, I don't know how this will have changed now but kind of 70 plus percent of music being listened to in any European market was local repertoire. And, you know, we were building an international business and we were going like, you know, everyone loves Taylor Swift, so that's cool. And that's okay. But if you're trying to build a product that can connect with people every time they want to listen to music, you know, you have to have people who are connected to what's going on in that market, whether it's like who the X Factor star in that market is or, you know, what the cultural trends are around music. So a big part of my role was really kind of guiding local teams on the ground who, you know, were knowledgeable about their regions and who very much were like multi-skilled marketeers. So partly because we didn't have, you know, the headcount have loads and loads of people. We were running a lean organization, but also because, you know, 
one minute this might be super relevant and the next minute that might be and we needed to have you know I needed to have a team of people who were sort of really versatile as marketeers and I guess going back to your art and science thing that people that were able to understand both and the relationship between the two and that sometimes you need to go very much more one way and other times other so I think a big part of my focus was just sort of figuring out mechanisms to be able to do whatever was needed for a bunch of different markets autonomously, you know, without constantly coming back and going like, oh, well, people in France behave like this, so we need this. You know, the business were just like, do what you've got to do. You know, you've got some people in France, you know, do the partnerships you need to do there. So really, I would say that the biggest sort of, the thing I'm most proud of was really sort of getting Spotify just like into the day-to-day and working with a really incredible and very small team of people to sort of make that happen. And yeah, I mean, even when I left, Europe was represented 50% of global users and 50% of paying customers. So, right. you know, it was it was sort of a, a huge task. And also in my time there, you know, we launched the business into over 20 markets globally mm-hmm. across the rest of Europe and rest of world and things. So again, a big part of my role was just sort of figuring out how and I, I hate the word playbook, but sort of how you how you could build some sort of like set of guidelines that would help you figure out what to do. And then as all those markets were live, how we could sort of constantly be shifting focus and going like, right, well, for now, we're going to categorize like the really big markets as our just sort of core ones. And then we'll have another bunch of markets that are connected together by, you know, maybe how evolved streaming is there and you know Germany was often at the end of that cycle because it's just a you know a bit more of a sort of tech anxious market so Mm. the way we approach Germany might be really similar to another market in Asia where you know there were more just sort of historical kind of trust issues over technology so really just kind of trying to figure out how with limited resources we could do what was best for a whole bunch of different markets so yeah, we you know the other thing that I was incredibly proud of going back to the not having a ton of marketing budget, you know, the partnerships and things that we did managed to, you know, get us like marketing budget from other brands of in excess of like 150 million over the time I was there whether that was Vodafone and the value that a partnership might bring marketing with them we worked with PlayStation Shazam like a whole bunch of incredible brands and they and really the task there was how can we really make Spotify like ubiquitous with listening to music everywhere and in every which way, which sort of there's not a one size fits all approach to that. So that was really about just being able. And I, and I guess my my sort of virgin experience of understanding cultures and understanding that actually when it comes to things like music, inherently the reasons we listen to music are pretty similar wherever you are in the world and whatever language you speak. So like that's helpful, but that, you know, the nuance of how you then connect with different consumers in different markets and you don't make them feel like, you know, if we just talk to everyone about Beyonce and Ed Sheeran and Taylor Swift, then like that's cool because, you know, that that's not the role that music plays in our lives. I wanted to um, to finish up with a couple of, of quick questions, Nikki. Obviously, firstly, around leadership. You've been in in senior leadership positions for for a number of years now. What do you believe are top three sort of leadership traits? I guess I would probably start with like passion or enthusiasm. Mm -hmm. Um, And I guess I say that, you know, 
I mean, many of the best leaders have it with abundance. It's like an incredibly infectious quality. I was lucky, you know, I spent 10 years working for Richard Branson, who, you know, just, you know, he's famous and everyone knows who he is, but actually as a person, you know, listening to him talk about what his vision was was just incredibly inspiring. And, you know, similarly, Daniel at Spotify. And, you know, you don't have to be the CEO creating the amazing business to sort of have passion and enthusiasm about what you're doing. But I think it is infectious and people feed from it. And, you know, we've all worked in places where there's someone who's like incredibly enthusiastic and passionate about what they're doing. And like, you want to be on that team. So I think, I think, you know, it's obviously got to be genuine, but if that's something, you know, if, if you're working somewhere where the people that are leading you are incredibly passionate and enthusiastic and, you know, interested in what they're doing, then, you know, you build a team of people around you that feel the same way. My next one, I mean, again, this this is a pretty obvious one, but communication skills, yep. I guess your task as a leader is to inspire, to motivate, to instruct, to course correct, and often do all of those things at the same time. So, you know, the, the communication requirement is incredibly varied and that's just internally you know you've then also Mm -hmm. got to be doing all of that stuff like out to the world so it's it's sort of an area that needs kind of constant consideration and I guess when I think about that as well I mean I I probably the balance should be 20% getting your message across and 80% listening and you know reading the room and figuring out what the best approach is at a point in time but yeah I think that's incredibly important and then the other one which I've sort of, I guess, touched on a little bit before is kind of a customer first focus. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think the sort of role of, I guess, and this is sort of particular to kind of marketing leadership, I guess, you know, it, I genuinely believe it's the most powerful lens to look at your business through. And like sometimes it just can be the easiest way to sort of cut through noise and differences of opinion and whatever else, you know, if you can just like put the customer front and center and encourage Mm -hmm. everybody else to do the same thing, then suddenly like bits of noise go away and, you know, you can find focus again. And it's kind of hard to argue in sort of consumer facing businesses with the idea of like putting the customer first. So I think kind of leading with that in mind and encouraging everybody else around you to sort of follow suit is also really important. Wonderful. Now, Nikki, before I let you go, one final question. Obviously, you're CMO, it's 2022. What challenges do you see CMOs facing this year? I know it's a broad question. I know it's sort of different for different sectors, different industries. But from from your perspective, what, what are some of the biggest challenges that you and fellow CMOs are going to be facing this year? So I think my first one of these, which is bigger than a CMO challenge, but I think it's maybe a bit unique for CMOs, is this sort of mm-hmm hybrid workforce and you know I think what was it yesterday we were all told that we'll be able to go back to the office and stuff and figuring out what that means and how we're going to work I think is going to be a real challenge and I think it will be different from business to business and uh, I think for marketing roles I guess particularly in sort of scale up businesses maybe and I guess the scope of my team is both creative and marketing so it's sort of the full full mix I think it's going to be important for everybody to sort of put some structure around that and you know it'll probably depend on 
business culture, leadership styles and, you know, all that kind of stuff. But I think it's going to be a really important one because the way that we all work both collectively and individually has changed. And, you know, I'm sure in every team, there's like a pretty broad spectrum of preference over, I'd be happy to never come back or like, can't wait to get (laughs) back into the office. And so figuring out a way that you can come up with something that feels fair and that gives everybody the opportunity to sort of like be their best self, I think is going to be important. The other one, and again, you know, these aren't necessarily, these are probably broader than CMO challenges, but, Mm -hmm. you know, finding and keeping good people. I think, again, the last couple of years, you know, I'm not sure I could find a single person that hasn't like reassessed what they're doing and why they're doing it and you know all that kind of good stuff and I think I think it's absolutely right and Virgin was probably ahead of the game in this that as as businesses you know we're really putting an important and solid focus on you know the environment we're providing for people the freedom we're giving people and the way we're kind of adjusting I think it you know it matters deeply to me at a personal level because it's sort of you know, an important personal value, but I think as businesses as well, you know, I, I think the last couple of years has made everybody realise that like life's short and don't do things you don't want to be doing. But what that does also then mean is, you know, as as businesses, we have to be constantly thinking about how we both find good people and attract them in and we keep the good people that we've got because you know again as we start to go back to whatever if this is normal whatever normal is <laughs> there there can be a real temptation to just go like right now let's crack on and do some really good work and you sort of yeah. it's like losing sight of the fact that like people aren't just headcount and sitting and going like we're going to restructure we're going to change this we're going to do that you know has this huge human element to it as well and then my final one is probably like best summed up really just as like rolling with the punches <laughs> because I think you know there's been an incredible amount of like volatility in the world generally in the world of marketing you know there's a whole bunch of like forces you know all like a ton of privacy changes making it incredibly hard for businesses to operate in the way they did before you know the way big brands are spe- the way everybody's sort of spending their money and their approach to sort of reaching consumers um, has changed rapidly and you know consumers are being like totally unpredictable as a result of covid and whether they're allowed to go out or not allowed to go out so there's this sort of you know constant i mean we we were sort of doing our q4 retro and like somebody was like should we look at year on year and it was just like just don't bother <laughs> you know it's like it really just like what you know yes we should do that but like in, in a in an old world looking at what happened last year or last quarter and what's happening this quarter was like valuable but now it's just like the amount of you know well that was the day we all got locked down well, that was the day that the us the highest covid rates in the us is just like all of these other things. And I think as a CMO, hopefully, you know, everyone's got a bit more resilient over the last couple of years, but just sort of staying kind of calm and managing to balance a focus on the short and the long term. And, you know, taking a deep breath and remembering you're not saving lives is <laughs> like pretty key. Yeah, definitely. Well, wonderful. Well, look, Nikki, thank you very much for uh, for taking time out to, uh, to join us on the, uh, the show today. And uh, yeah, thank you for your time. It's been great. Amazing. Thanks, Alex. Thanks for having me. 
thanks again, everyone, for listening to this episode of Scale of One's Tech. I'm really excited about some of the upcoming guests that I've got for this year. A couple of co-founder CMOs from the world of fintech and a VP of marketing from a health tech business that is doing phenomenally well. So if you haven't already, please subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. That way you'll be alerted as and when the new monthly episodes drop. Please also follow our Scale of One to Tech LinkedIn page. And we're also now on Twitter. You can find us at the handle at S-O-O-T-T podcast. This episode of the Scale of One to Tech is sponsored by eOpinion. EOpinion is on a mission to change the face of the survey industry by captivating and entertaining your users and customers. They use 30-second speedy polls to create interesting stories, actionable insights, and increase engagement. Listeners of the Scale of One to Tech podcast can get a half-price speedy poll by heading over to eopinion.org forward slash Alex.